Hello, all of my politics and punk rock podcast listeners. This is Andrew for America, and today is September 11th, 2021. It is the 20th anniversary of 9-11, and today I have a show in store for you called Big Brother is Watching You. And the theme of the show today is I'm going to talk about how the passing of the Patriot Act uh, was the beginning of the United States government rolling out a lot of very uh, futuristic uh, Orwellian surveillance police state kind of stuff. And 9-11 gave our government the reason to pass that Patriot Act. And with us just withdrawing from uh, Afghanistan recently, um, I-, I wonder, now that we're out of Iraq and Afghanistan, now that the war is over, and uh, I don't know if we've successfully defeated terrorism or not, but um, don't you think that maybe it would be time for some of us to start talking about repealing the Patriot Act and repealing some of these Orwellian surveillance police state policies that George W. Bush and Dick Cheney uh, when they famously said, we're going to go to the dark side uh, and we're going to avenge this attack and we're going to go get these terrorists, right? Well, clearly you guys know, you're smart enough to know that there's way, way, way more to that story than meets the eye. Way more to that story that we were told in the mainstream media. And I just want you guys to put it together. Just think about that day when you remember two planes hitting those towers and the images you saw on TV and the news reports that were aired and then pulled forever never to be seen again that painted a different picture than the official narrative. Uh, If you go to the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast Facebook page today, I posted one of my favorite 9-11 conspiracy theory videos (laughs) that uh, I find to be quite uh, all-encompassing and humorous. Um, I think you guys should all go check that out, but, uh, just some stuff I want you guys to think about as we, uh, remember 20 years from 20 years ago today, this world and this country changed forever. I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. And now without further ado, here is episode 52 of the Politics and Punk Rock podcast entitled Big Brother is Watching You. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. It is time for another episode of the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. I am Andrew for America. People recently... (laughs) History Channel has been airing these shows. I've been trying to go back and find them after they air so I can record them. I've been somewhat successful. 
I tried to stream one of these shows uh, through my carrier, Xfinity, Comcast. And they charged me $3. They put it behind a paywall. So, like, if you don't see this stuff when they air it, then you're going to have to pay money for it. It's almost like they're trying to keep it a secret. <laughs> but for some reason, people, the History Channel has been hitting home run after home run lately. And they have recently put out a show called America's Book of Secrets Special. Big Brother is watching you. And if you've been listening to the show, you know that in a previous podcast, I read the first couple paragraphs of Orwell's 1984 to you people, ending in the line, Big Brother is watching you, when he sees the, the picture of the 45-year-old man's face, that is the famous Orwellian face that we all know and love. This is going to be fun. We're going to play today, people, some excerpts, uh, some clips, rather, from this History Channel show, America's Book of Secrets. Uh, special, Big Brother is watching you. And again, if you've been listening to the show, you know that what you're about to hear, people, is stuff that I've been saying other people have been saying, I've been trying to sound the alarm, I've been telling you people that this is the point of my podcast, yada, 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 etc., 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 right? So, you will know what I mean when I say that when you listen to this podcast today and, and you digest the content, you will see what I mean. When I say that it is unbelievable that somebody made this show, I feel like when I watched this for the first time, it was my inner monologue. I felt like I could have been a writer or a producer on this show. It's so good. And I am proud that there is a, a major uh, television station, such as the History Channel, that is doing this kind of stuff. And they got a lot. They're talking about Freemasons. They're talking about... The Founding of the Nation. There's a lot of good shows. America's Book of Secrets. People, go check it out on History Channel. I highly, highly recommend it. Here we go. Here is the intro to this show. I have specifically clipped this show in very specific parts. So as to illustrate my point and my always consistent points that I have been talking about on this podcast since episode one. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, here we go. This is the beginning, the intro of America's Book of Secrets special. Big Brother is watching you. Crying eyes, watching every move. We're watched from the moment we get up to the moment we go to bed. Eager ears eavesdropping on conversations. People are being monitored way more than they realize. And hungry hands rifling files in an unrestricted search for private data. This is like a Logan's Run kind of future. This is frightening stuff. Americans are under surveillance like never before. 
But just who is monitoring us? There's potential for these devices to get hacked for nefarious purposes. And what are their secret reasons for tracking millions of citizens every day? Quite frankly, I am not at liberty to take the risk that I'm going to divulge something I shouldn't. Those are some of the most secret of the secrets that exist in the United States today. Okay, people, so I hope, hopefully your appetite is sufficiently whetted. <laughs> this is a really, really good, insightful show. I highly recommend it. Uh, you're going to hear from guys like Glenn Greenwald talking about meeting uh, with Edward Snowden. Uh, you're you're going to listen from a gentleman, uh, for something Drake, used to work for the FBI, uh, has some very concerning uh, feelings about what he has witnessed go down on his watch. Oliver North is on here saying that he cannot confirm nor deny and he doesn't want to say too much. Here we go. June 5th, 2013. America awakens to a shocking headline. One that shakes the country to its core. A British newspaper, The Guardian, reveals that the National Security Agency, or NSA, has been secretly collecting cell phone data from millions of people without their knowledge. Americans can now confirm, without a doubt, that the government has been monitoring its citizens, even if they have no ties to terrorism. And they've been doing so for years. The unbelievable disclosures come from a former NSA contractor named Edward Snowden. We had to go to Hong Kong in order to meet him. We didn't know if we had been followed or were being surveilled. He would be holding a Rubik's Cube, which is how we would be able to identify him because we didn't know what he looked like. And what he told me is that very few of the surveillance programs actually have anything to do with 9-11 or terrorism or national security. Edward Snowden was entrusted to keep some of the most secretive notions and activities of our government. And he betrayed that. Is he this hero or is he a traitor? Now, I look at him as, frankly, right now, just a criminal. Although some view Snowden as a traitor, even they cannot deny the facts that his leaks exposed. For the first time in our nation's history, the technology exists to monitor and track every American. We are much more monitored and under surveillance, if you want to use that term, than in the past, whether it's NSA looking at emails or telephone records, or whether it's simply surveillance cameras wherever we go. We're watched from the moment we get up to the moment we go to bed. When you wake up, what's the first thing you do? You go to the bathroom, you jump in the shower, you turn the water on and brush your teeth. There are water meter rings that go around your water pipe to check whether water's flowing through it. There's the power meter rings where the meter readings are being beamed in real time back to the power company. So the power company can tell you after a while which appliance corresponds to which power spike. So I can monitor everything you do in your house without ever having a camera inside. 
We have four miles of farmland, my family does, in the middle of Missouri. The heartland. The Bible Belt. The buckle of the Bible Belt. And there's a drone. I talked about it. We got attacked. Oh, it's crazy talk. And then this stuff is revealed to be true. Now they admit. Yeah, they're watching us with drones. And they never apologize. Many Americans now wonder, could the unprecedented level of surveillance in our society be termed Big Brother? Big Brother, of course, is a fictional character from George Orwell's book, 1984. It's come to symbolize this obsessive, intrusive, oppressive government that would be not only in the shadows, but also in our faces of monitoring everything that any citizen does. Big Brother is a metaphor right now for our surveillance state and the fact that the government has insight into everything. Your health records, your tax records, your texts, your emails, your phone calls, everything. All electronic digital data that belongs to you is within the purview of the government to take at any time. And they are. Some of us have called it turnkey tyranny. All the enabling mechanisms, the technology is in place. The Snowden leaks reveal a level of covert data tracking previously unthought of in our country's history. Not only on our phones, but also online. Even more shocking, they expose how the NSA stores this collected data for an undisclosed amount of time in case it's needed for future investigations. Some intelligence experts now wonder if the NSA has crossed the line and gone too far. It's important to understand the NSA was formed for a very specific purpose, and that was in 1952 under the Truman administration. It was designed to be a technical collection agency of foreign intelligence. The things that mattered, the things that were considered threats. That structure was still there as of 9-11. The largest attack on American soil, 9-11, left more than 2,900 dead and would forever change how and when the government collects data on its own citizens. Defense agencies felt more pressure than ever to find and track terrorist communications both here and abroad. And they were willing to cast a wide net in order to foil future terrorist plots. After 9-11, the intelligence community became involved in uh, sifting much more extensively the means of communication, looking for leads to terrorists looking to roll up plots before they happen rather than after they happen. The measure of a successful terrorist is whether he's actually able to kill, whether to carry out the mission or not. The FBI and other law enforcement agencies ever since 9-11 have intercepted a number of individuals. While the NSA claims their surveillance has stopped acts of terrorism before they could begin, the Snowden revelations lead some to question, is the current level of NSA surveillance really about curbing terrorism? Does the NSA really need to track the data and location of every American? 
in order to stop a future terrorist attack. If you can collect enough information, you can de determine the patterns of people that are terrorists, but the mass information gathering conglomeration without regard to whether they're terrorists, that's one that may not be as legitimate. Although both Republican and Democrat administrations have approved the NSA secret data collection, there are now many who believe that the NSA is become something it was never meant to be, a domestic spy agency, one that operates in secret. After 9-11, the government was doing all kinds of things in the deepest of secrecy without any knowledge by the public. Five days after 9-11, Vice President Cheney said publicly, network television, we're going to go to the dark side. Could that dark side include violating the Fourth Amendment, a law that prohibits unreasonable searches and seizures of American citizens? Three and a half weeks after 9-11, I had the conversation with the number three person at NSA, not knowing at that time that President Bush had signed the secret presidential directive authorizing NSA to turn the United States into the equivalent of a foreign nation. And he simply said, you don't understand, Mr. Drake. The White House has approved the program. It's all legal. And as soon as I heard that, the hair is going up on the back of my neck. Could the NSA data collection program be just one piece of an all-seen Big Brother? What if Big Brother needed to track not just your private correspondence, but also your private location at all times? In fact, what if he was taking pictures of you right in your own home, even as we speak? Okay, so, <laughs> I mean, can, people, can you believe that I was not consulted about the making of this show? <laughs> uh, so, what what are a few things that you just heard that jump out at you? I've been saying on this show, we are moving towards a new world order. Orwellian, brave new world order. Orwellian surveillance, police, state, totalitarian, dictatorship, oligarchic, collectivism, etc., etc., etc. What did he say? What, what did they just say? Both Republicans and Democrats approved these policies of mass data collection. It's all legal now. Cheney and Bush e effectively turned the United States into the equivalent of a, quote, foreign nation. Pretty soon they're going to come after you and they're going to label you domestic terrorists. People, they got us by the balls. Let's move on. Americans are monitored a lot more, but the problem is they aren't informed that they're being monitored. I mean, at least in Britain, they have stickers everywhere saying you are under surveillance. 
But here, people are being monitored way more than I think they realize. New York City. On the southern tip of Manhattan is the city's financial district, one of the most powerful economic centers on the planet. What could it also be? One of the most secretly watched. Just about every dollar in the world comes through here at one point or another. They want to make sure it's protected. So they built what they call the Ring of Steel. The financial district is encircled by a huge amount of cameras, surveillance devices. They incorporate private cameras, public cameras, police cameras to make sure that every avenue into and out of the financial district of New York City is covered completely. Could this Ring of Steel hidden discreetly above the heads of thousands of bankers, tourists, and residents. Be quietly monitoring the streets below. We've got so many cameras around, it's not even funny. Uh, right up here, for example, there's a pan tilt zoom camera. With that one camera, they can look all around this block and see anything with a 30x zoom. But while closed circuit cameras can work to solve crimes after the fact, like locating the suspects in the Boston Marathon bombings. Could they also be used by law enforcement to identify perpetrators before a crime even happens? The answer is, yes, they can. Thanks to a top secret camera system called Trapwire. Trapwire is a secret facial recognition system that's been in operation since 2007 where major cities in America have facial recognition scanning cameras already operational and have for years. Let's imagine that you've got a building. Somebody wants to commit a terrorist act against the building. They're going to have to surveil the building. They're going to have to basically case the joint. Well, if I can spot the people doing reconnaissance, I can stop the attack before it happens. Video analytics is incredibly useful, and in the last few years, it's become incredibly powerful. How does a powerful video analytic system like Trapwire even go about creating a database? Some say a common social network is responsible for one of the most shocking Big Brother secrets of all. Facebook actually is one of the biggest facial recognition databases in the country who works hand in hand with the government through their secret affiliations. So since about at least 2007, Major cities in America, government buildings, airports, etc., have had fully functioning facial recognition scanning systems in there. It's used all over the country and all over the world for various reasons. Facial recognition software was used to find Osama bin Laden from a satellite. How much more science fiction can you get? That's awesome. Everything we do is watched. Everything. It reminds me of an old Twilight Zone episode where we're like hamsters. We're, we're, America's become a habit trail, and we are, we're pets. It's like we're pets of the government for our own good. Everything they do, they say, is for our own good. While some admit it may be impossible to escape the eye of Big Brother on city streets, most Americans take comfort that they can escape his gaze in the safety of their own homes. Or can they? The Xbox has a really cool technology called Connect. 
It's multiple cameras on this one device that you use with your Xbox, and what it gets is a 3D picture of anyone in front of it. There's always the potential for these devices to get hacked or accessed somehow, you know, for nefarious purposes. Should Americans be concerned that their seemingly innocuous home gaming devices are really portals that hackers, or perhaps even the government, can use to look inside their homes? There's no known cases of the Xbox Connect being hacked. However, the fact is there is a camera that's in your living room so if a hacker can find out the right way, it's possible to enable those devices and potentially monitor and listen to what's happening in your living room. Even though the Kinect camera hasn't been hacked into yet, could there be good reason to be wary of a breach at some point? There are those who claim the FBI has already used technology to secretly keep an eye on Americans in their own homes with their own cameras and without their consent. They can actually start recording from your webcam on your computer without the light ever turning on. Something the FBI has had the ability to do for many years now. They're not going to employ that commonly because they don't necessarily want everyone to know. The FBI monitoring your every move. It's a disturbing thought. But is this simply the price of safety in today's high-tech world? Is it possible, as some government officials insist, that such invasions of privacy have actually saved thousands of lives? Okay, so yeah, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, the um, combining of all the intelligence community and the police's databases and computer systems in order to fight terrorism. Yeah, maybe they have foiled a few plots. Uh, you, there are some stories. You might actually hear a story about a foiled plot uh, later on this uh, episode. Um, but today I just wanted to clip the show and start off talking about Big Brother and talking about how the surveillance police state is coming. It, it's already here. And that's my point to playing all this stuff for you guys today is that people, it's already here. You can't run from it. Have you guys seen uh, The Social Dilemma, that documentary? I mean, th that this stuff makes me think about that. About how they're tracking every aspect. Uh, I mean, you know, my fiancé is a big runner. And she tracks her rings on her Apple Watch. And she, you know monitors her heart rate her all you know all the stuff everybody that uh all you people that you know close out your rings quote unquote know what i'm talking about so i mean this stuff is getting so good that you got to ask yourself people is privacy going away this reminds me of enemy of the state who's going to monitor the monitors of the monitors right Pretty soon they're going to start talking on the show about uh, Bradley Manning or Chelsea Manning, whatever, uh, who gave all that data dump information to WikiLeaks. They're gonna, it's going to talk about how they merged all these intelligence communities uh, together after 9-11 and uh, created the Joint Terrorism Task Force. 
That's where your fusion centers came from, where you could be walking by a building down a city street and not even know that, you know, the window to your right or your left that you can't look into is a facility that exists to track and monitor everybody that walks in public. It's crazy. There is secret technology, people, that your government knows about, but you don't know. You don't know about it. They're going to talk about how Obama knew some stuff. George W. Bush, after uh, 9-11, they passed a lot of stuff that made some of the things that are happening today possible. They're going to talk about anonymous they're going to talk about future cyber warfare. They're going to talk about how much money uh, out of the defense budget now is being put towards AI and cyber war- warfare. We've been over that stuff before. So let's keep it going. Here we go. March 5th, 2014. President Barack Obama proposes a $495 billion defense budget for 2015. Almost half a billion dollars less than the year before. But on close examination, there is one category that shows a meteoric rise. The clandestine black budgets. Some will no doubt say that the spending reductions are too big. Uh, Others will say that they're too small. But with allocations so large and with so little accountability, many in Congress argue there is virtually no way to measure whether goals are being met, either financially or tactically. A unit that technically doesn't even exist, you can get away with a lot more. And in this condition lies some of the big difficulties that people have with America's secret armies. It's basically the government telling us, it's none of your business, just give us the money and shut up. But why are America's black budgets so secret? Is it really to safeguard national security? Or is it to hide the government's reckless overspending from the public? Oversight, there is no oversight. It's secret upon secret wrapped in an enigma and uh, some fortune cookie of BS. This black budget spending has gone on unquestioned since World War II. It's been nonstop. I think it's time we start asking some questions. When you look at the line item on the budget, it simply says classified programs. It doesn't spell out what the programs are for, who's operating them. The budgets are secret because the units are secret, what they do is secret, the technology is secret, the procurement is secret. For the United States, top secret black ops missions are a necessary yet extremely costly endeavor. Billions of dollars are invested in training, equipment, weapons, transportation, and operational support. But just how do covert operations get funded by a government that denies their very existence? A black budget is essentially uh, monies allocated for the maintenance, resourcing, logistics of our covert operations team. Now, it's not open book. 
that's the reason why it's clandestine and covert. If it's not, then you might as well get out of the game. The money for black budgets, it's all done secretly. The House and Senate Intelligence Committees have closed-door sessions where they approve these black budgets. The CIA has a separate funding from Congress. The military has black ops that are under special access programs. You have to keep it secret. It takes a lot of money to train the operators. It takes a lot of money to equip the operators. When I started with 100 shooters in 1980, my training allowance for bullets was larger than the training allowance for the whole Marine Corps. That's a lot of bullets. But when you're saying, I'm coming to save you, you don't care about the cost of those bullets. You have the ability to buy cutting-edge equipment, cutting-edge gear from clothes that you're wearing, to weaponry, to optics, to even experimental types of food that we're looking at to give guys more sustainable energy in the field. The very fact that the federal government denies their preservation of a so-called black budget, this is a kind of a game being played with the American people. With billions in funding secretly appropriated to black ops every year, just who is signing the checks? Could there be a secret chain of command? As some believe, that stretches all the way to the White House. I know there's a lot of inquiry about how does that chain of command work. And quite frankly, I am not at liberty to take the risk that I'm going to divulge something I shouldn't. The chain of command of that tier one is working for the National Command Authority. National Command Authority, by definition, is the President of the United States and the Secretary of Defense. That's it. Managed by the Joint Chiefs of Staff. But in essence, you're talking about the president saying, I want, Secretary of Defense says, go do it, and the chief says, troops, be there. That is not a normal military function. So that allows you direct line for funding, direct line for intelligence, direct line for action, and everybody's on a short tether. But how is the president shielded from domestic and international accountability when a covert operation is exposed? Just how much, or little, is the president aware of? Plausible deniability has been written into the substructure of covert operations under the National Security Act of 1947. Anything that is being done that is illegal, immoral, unethical, or potentially embarrassing must be plausibly deniable by people at the highest levels. Secrecy is always a good thing. The problem with secrecy is when it covers up incompetence. We're talking about the United States government, there's a lot of incompetence. And when that's the purpose of secrecy, it doesn't serve this country. Spring. 1984. Prior to the Summer Olympics in Los Angeles, California, Deputy Chief of Naval Operations James A. Lyons Jr. voiced concern about vulnerabilities on America's military bases both at home and abroad. 
determined to expose potential weaknesses in America's defense systems. Vice Admiral Lyons enlisted the mastermind behind SEAL Team 6, Commander Richard Marcinko, to create and conduct an ultra-secret black op known as Red Cell. So I pulled some SEAL Team 6 members, and I hired a group of cameramen, and we went around, say, which one of your bases would you like us to attack? He would pick it, and I would go out there, and we would attack the base. I'd attack it for nine to 10 days, and every day I would brief the senior officer on what I had done the night before and what I got away with, and presented him with a film. They said, gotcha. Commander Marcinko's Red Cell did, in fact, expose security weaknesses on American military compounds. But just how vulnerable were they? In New London, Connecticut, I was able to get on board nuclear submarines. When Reagan was president, I got a truckload of 500-pound bombs alongside Air Force One. That proved the vulnerability and policy-wise had to be resolved. But did the findings of the Red Cell mission also expose other secrets? Ones that would threaten Commander Marcinko's very future. Did I get in trouble? I conspired with myself. I didn't know you could do that, but apparently I did. I was already retired, and uh, they will investigate service. They spent a, a lot of money to find out how I did all the things I did. I was guilty of a grenade contract that I said I needed. The Army was the contracting service. I had nothing to do with it, but I was the one who went to jail because I didn't say it cost too much. I spent time in a federal camp, a little over a year. Landed a manure pile and came out smelling like a rose. Did Marcinko violate the chain of command? Or was the former SEAL Team 6 commander a victim of his own covert mission? Did the government create Red Cell as a means to orchestrate an even larger secret agenda? Red Cell had a duality to it. It was testing out American installations, but it was also simultaneously building a database that is gonna allow us to move in a black ops fashion all over the world and assemble an assault team somewhere without anybody knowing. For some reason, I keep saying to myself, in a free society, secrecy is repugnant. Does that remind you of anybody's speeches? <laughs> People, in a previous podcast, I said, a country or a government that loves waging war on everybody around the world, it should be no surprise that at some point in the future, they're going to turn around and turn their war inwardly. If you don't think that we are now considered a foreign nation where we could have domestic terrorists, people are watched from the time they wake up to the time they go to bed. They can monitor your behavior in your own home. 
In a previous podcast, I joked about Minority Report and how they can try to figure out pre-crimes. They're going to talk about pre-crimes here coming up. That's the future, people. This is the inevitable future I have been telling you people about. The AI cyber future. And, you know, I don't know if if these capabilities that they have now, you know, whether it be for good or for bad purposes, the big club now, people, they have the capacity and the capability to do ungodly things. They have the power to wield power never before seen in human history. These tech companies married to government. We've talked about that before. Dave Smith's talked about it before. How big government loves big business. The the marriage between corporations and government. It's it's Mussolini's definition of fascism. Corporatism. Crony capitalism. The opposite of free market capitalism. The opposite of individual sovereignty. The ability to write your own ticket without government interference. And, you know, and then they started talking about the secret chain of command. Did you know that? I didn't know there was a secret chain of command. I may have theorized it. <laughs> In a conspiratorial fashion. But they just come out and say it. And that was Oliver North. Iran Contra. Oliver North. Yeah. That said that. Yeah maybe there's a secret chain of command. But. I'm not at liberty to divulge anything about it. Because I don't want to get in trouble. All this stuff makes me feel feel like the president now wields the power of a dictator. It's not a president anymore. It's a dictator. Remember when George W. Bush said, right after 9-11, a, quote, dictatorship would be easier, unquote. People, do you realize that when he said it, boy, did he mean it. Because <laughs> ever since him, Every president that's been in office has wielded dictatorial, never-before-seen-in-human-history, ungodly power. And then, of course, we talked in a previous podcast about plausible deniability. That's the name of the game, people. They're not trying to solve problems. They're trying to make their stakeholders happy. They're trying to make their campaign funders happy. They could give a fuck about their constituencies. You better wake up. It might already be too late. Yep, maybe that's true. Maybe you're sitting there listening to me, listening to this show I'm playing for you guys today. You're saying, man, this is this is it. It's over. Andrew Ford America was right. They're gonna come and get us. 
It's the new Nazi Germany. 21st century America. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe I'm just being dramatic. Maybe I'm shock jocking it a little bit here on my show. <laughs> but you know, either rewind this podcast and continue listening to this so that you don't miss anything. Or, you know, just go look it up. On the interwebs, America's Book of Secrets special. Big Brother is watching you. Here we go. Let's keep it going. Here we go. And what is perhaps most disconcerting is that as technology continues to advance at a breakneck pace, so too do the threats to our privacy. September 20th, 2013. Apple releases the iPhone 5S to great fanfare. The device includes new technology that allows users to unlock their phone with a unique biological identifier. A fingerprint. Consumers applaud the move as one way to make the pricey phones less likely to be stolen and hacked. But just how secure is this revolutionary innovation? There was actually, I think it was a $40,000 bounty for the first person to hack the iPhone fingerprint. It's been done. There is a way now to take your fingerprint off of a Coke can or a wine glass, scan it and print it, and then put it on the iPhone, and guess what, it'll unlock your iPhone. So your, your iPhone is already hacked that fashion. In 2017, Apple introduced what was supposed to be an even more convenient and secure way to unlock the iPhone. Facial recognition. Within weeks of its release, cybersecurity experts managed to trick the Face ID using a 3D mask with infrared eye cutouts. But what many users consider a greater concern is the fact that a smartphone has the capability of knowing a person's location at all times, even with the GPS locator turned off. One such person is former computer hacker Sammy Kamkar. In late 2010, I was researching geolocation with HTML5, and what it did was you could go to a website and it could tell you exactly where you were located to the physical address. I thought this was really interesting, and I looked into how this worked. When Kamkar investigated Google's database, he made an astonishing discovery. The company was secretly storing subscribers' router addresses. I investigated that more, and I found that Google Street View cars are driving around. And while they're taking pictures for their maps program, they're also tracking where all these routers are and correlating it with the current GPS. Google now knows that whenever they see this wireless network communicating with it, they would also know where that person was physically located. Camcar also discovered that cell phone companies seem to be playing the same game. He found that every phone carrier had created location databases and without their users' knowledge. When the information was revealed, users were incensed. But even after the wireless phone companies agreed to change their policies, the result was that many of the applications simply would not work when tracking features were turned off. You pretty much have to play their game if you want to use their services. 
Could this be Big Brother's ultimate master plan? Forcing Americans to be digitally wired to corporate service providers in order to complete the most basic of day-to-day -day activities. To be a member of modern society, you have to use Google, you have to use Facebook, you have to use LinkedIn. These are services that uh, people need for their jobs. So to say that we have a choice, that's an illusion. Even if some Americans were willing to try and forego cell phone and email use in their daily routines, could other monitoring technologies soon take their place? May 2010. Critics allege President Barack Obama's health care bill will have a provision that requires all participants to be microchipped. While the health care bill that ultimately passes contains no such mandate, there are many who believe that all Americans will eventually be microchipped. Some healthcare advocates, they want an implantable RFID chip with their medical records implanted in their body. And, and some people have had that already. Other people are worried about Big Brother looking at their medical records because if somebody has a medical marijuana card, now they're not allowed to have firearms because you're using a you know, class C illegal drug. We know these microchips have very weak security. In fact, the same people who are walking around with computers in their backpack stealing your credit card information will be able to steal your medical information from your embedded arm chip. Some suspect the government might even have an endgame to avoid implanting RFID chips into an unwilling American public. In July 2012, the FDA approves the use of digestible microchips embedded in prescription drugs. The stated reason for approval, the chips will help alert patients when to take their medication by sending a reminder to their cell phones. But some worry, could these high-tech pills be used instead to spy on American citizens? Just how far will the government go to track an entire population? And to do so, would they need help from other secret sources? Washington, D.C., June 12, 2013. NSA Chief General Keith Alexander is questioned by the Senate Appropriations Committee about the agency's secret surveillance program. Here I have my cell phone. What authorized investigation gave you the grounds for acquiring my cell phone data? One of the most shocking allegations of the Edward Snowden leaks so far is the revelation of how the NSA secretly uses private, high-tech corporations to gather and collect data on American citizens through a super-secret program called PRISM. A program that both the government and big business had been trying hard to keep hidden. PRISM is one of the programs we've come to learn as an NSA, essentially, data mining function. It is six degrees of Kevin Bacon. It is amassing all of this information, particularly from, say, the nine big companies in the United States, and grabbing all their data and putting it into a prism. A prism that then could be data mined 
Internet has become the single largest surveillance platform in history. These are secret agreements with companies, and those are some of the most secret secrets that exist in the United States today. It's just how closely aligned government and corporations are. Snowden actually managed to find one of the secret court orders, compelling Verizon to turn over every single phone record each and every day to NSA. No probable cause, 100 million plus subscribers. And that's just Verizon. Some worry that our digital suppliers, in order to comply with PRISM, are holding records of our online and cell usage for a longer and longer period of time. Possibly even forever. I think one of the greatest secrets about Facebook is that we don't have access to all of the data that they're storing on us. What you're not getting is how long you hovered over your ex's uh, Facebook page. What you're not getting is all of the deleted information that they're still storing about you. It's all there, even though you said that you deleted it. They keep it in perpetuity. Americans may wonder, what do these huge corporations get in return for cooperating with the government? Could there be a secret reason why they'd want to comply? None of these companies have challenged the government because they're in league with the government. And if you look at the SEC filings, the 10X filings, you will see how much money Verizon actually receives from the government every year for providing this kind of information. They're not doing this for free, believe me. So far, there's been no known change to the NSA's data collection policies. And if the government continues to collect our online data for companies that we trust, is there anything we can do to protect our online privacy? Yeah, our digital privacy has been eroded one click at a time. I would say that privacy agreements are there to take away our privacy, uh, not to actually guarantee it. What companies are after is getting as much data and information from us as possible. That's something that the government has also wanted for a very long time, is sort of unadulterated access to everything about us. The problem with terms and conditions agreements is that they're designed not to be read. Many of these things are 40 pages long. So do we have any choice in terms of negotiating these deals? No, we don't. These companies are going to continue to take away our rights, and the government is going to benefit directly from that. So far, big business and the federal government have claimed no wrongdoing. But if their actions really are legitimate, why are both working so hard to keep them so secret? There's this unholy alliance that's formed between corporations and the government that's really allowed both of them to get something that they've wanted forever. If our every communication, action, and thought is monitored by both government and big business, what exactly is their ultimate plan? In the 2002 feature film, Minority Report, a special high-tech police unit locates and arrests criminals before they commit their crimes. Future murders are stopped solely by analyzing a suspect's intent to kill. 
but is peering into the realm of a person's inner thoughts and motivations even possible? Especially when they appear ordinary on the outside. Some believe the future of Big Brother involves just that. Deciphering a person's intentions before he or she has a chance to act on them. And according to some experts, the future may already be here with a secret program created by the Department of Homeland Security called FAST. FAST stands for Future Attribution Screening Technology. FAST is another creepy Orwellian government program that is, it's a lie detector on steroids. It's a lie detector system that detects people's malintent or they can detect supposedly whether you have bad intentions. The system uses cameras and sensors to measure skin temperature, breathing, pulse rate, pupil dilation, and other physiological and behavioral patterns. The ultimate goal? To recognize and stop a terrorist before they strike. The technology will most likely be used at airports, national borders, and special events. But critics of the system argue there could be a massive potential for innocent people being targeted. This is essentially an Orwellian mind-reading system. The dangers with these systems is that they create a lot of false positives. So if you're traveling and you're nervous or you're sweating, you may create a false positive. And so you may be looked at as a terrorist. With the federal government sponsoring high-tech systems that attempt to read the minds of its own citizens, some Americans are wondering out loud, is the age of Big Brother upon us? And if so, were Edward Snowden's leaks of NSA secrets justified? What he's revealing is the zero-sum game. In order to know anything about anybody or anything, we need to have it all. We need to take it all, we need to collect it all. It's like taking all of the sand on all the beaches of the world and dumping them into landfills and then building a really expensive sieve to figure out what you have. Big Brother is controlling all the information. Everything you do on the computer, everything you do on the phone, for your own good. Whenever you hear for your own good from the government or for the children, you're about to lose uh, some money or freedom, always. Can America ever return to a time when our calls, texts, and online correspondence are no longer subject to government search and analysis? Some believe that a new NSA data center in the remote Utah desert, spanning the area of 19 football fields, already gives us the answer. Bluffdale, Utah, the NSA data center, it can store their estimates between 2 billion and 14 billion gigabytes of information. So what Bluffdale is really about is storing everything, all phone calls, all emails, all internet transactions, so that it can be looked at at a future date. The sheer size and scope of the Bluffdale facility have many security experts wondering, is the purpose of the cavernous building 
really about uncovering terrorist communications? Or could it have a more ominous objective? So imagine for a second if you're a protester and you get caught and they bring you in. Well, they can look at everything you might have said up until that point. Relationships that you've had, friends that you've known, and then they could potentially find all of your protester friends. So the capabilities of storing our entire digital trail may very well lie in this NSA Bluffdale data center. Could the government keep tabs on them and keep track of them and see how they vote? I think that's specifically against some amendments to our constitution, but we'll see what actually happens. With massive NSA storage facilities, drones that fly overhead, and digestible microchips that track our location. Some Americans wonder, in today's digital age, is the concept of privacy now extinct? We are in danger of becoming a surveillance state. The government trying to convince people that this is being done in their name. This is frightening stuff. How we are turned into branded beasts that they move along. You know what you and I are called to the IRS? Inventory. You brand the cattle, you microchip the inventory. Keep an eye on them. If the government simply sees Americans as a commodity, who is to blame? A hierarchy of corporate and government interests so intertwined that they must monitor every American citizen? Or should we point the finger at ourselves and our own complacency? One thing is certain. The age of Big Brother has not only arrived, it has only just begun. Yeah. Whose fault is it? It's only just begun, people. I've been saying it. It's coming. It's here. Uh, somebody I know works for Facebook. And this person used to work for Google, I believe. And before that, this person was a contractor in the United States military. Uh, did some some uh, intelligence work in the military and then afterwards was a contractor for uh, a bit of time. One day, I got a phone call from this person and this person said, Andrew, you got to be careful what you're typing on Facebook. And I said, what do you mean? And this person said, Facebook is recording every keystroke so when you're typing, let's just say you, you, you go on some crazy tirade, right? Rant, right? And lucky for you, you were smart enough to stop yourself from actually hitting post or send or whatever. And you delete it like a lot of us do, right? Did you know that if you're doing that on Facebook, people... And probably on Google, probably on Twitter, who knows, probably on all of them. Even though you deleted it and didn't post it, it was recorded. <laughs> and it's probably in a database underground in that big data center out in Utah. <laughs> so you better be careful. 
what you're what you're doing in your digital life. If you haven't seen the social dilemma people, that documentary, you better go watch it. The biometric technology, the AI that's coming, people. It's a brave new Orwellian police state totalitarian dictatorship, people. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I feel like it is crazy times that we are living in. I feel like I'm living in bizarro world. Up is down, left is right. Two plus two equals five. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. And in the in the words of Zach De La Roca from Rage Against the Machine, Orwell's hell, a terror era coming true. People, Big Brother is most definitely watching you. And they're, <laughs> and they're looking for domestic terrorists. <laughs> and what's a domestic terrorist? Who knows? <laughs> right? How are we going to define that? Who gets to define that? I, people, I remember back after 9-11, I had this premonition. And... And it, and it really took root. Like, like the thought crossed my mind and I kind of like, it was like a fleeting thought. I let it go. And then I remember during Obama's administration when I saw those MRAP tanks getting uh, uh, trained across the country like I talked about in a previous podcast. Um, that's when I really knew. That's when I really knew that what George W. Bush and Dick Cheney did and what they signed into law with the Patriot Act that was the beginning. That was the beginning of the end. The 80s and 90s and the early 2000s, I believe, and Sam Winchester believes, it was the height of the American Empire. And now we are on a slow decline into Orwellian world dictatorship. And uh, if you guys have seen Ancient Aliens, uh, I think the guy that uh, narrates Ancient Aliens is the guy that narrated this. So if that voice sounded familiar, you're probably an ancient alien theorist. <laughs> like myself, I get deep, people. I get into that stuff. All this stuff makes me wonder, you know. I recently posted a funny thing. Uh, you know, I wonder if UFOs are really just billionaires from other universes. <laughs> you know, hey, God said that we were made in, in his own image. You know, maybe maybe there are gods out there and they're just other civilizations that are way more advanced than us that can travel through space. You know, when does science fiction become uh, become science fact? When does conspiracy theory become conspiracy fact? These are the themes that we talk about here on the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. And if you're a new listener, I hope this stuff is fun and exciting, thought-provoking, interesting. I'm not trying to take a side. 
I'm not trying to tell you what to think. I'll give you my perspective and my opinion from time to time. But I hope today I've illustrated to you that it's already here, people. It might already be too late. What are we going to do, right? Rise up, band together, organize. Are we? Do we even have citizens disciplined enough to do such a thing anymore? I don't know, people. My rational mind thinks it's over. Maybe we will see the fall in our lifetime. Maybe we will see the fall of the American Empire. And like Zach De La Roca again says from Rage Against the Machine, maybe he's right. He once said in a song, quote, hope lies in the smoldering rubble of empires. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. All right, welcome back. Today, I want to read you guys some lyrics by the band Rage Against the Machine. And this song is called calm like a bomb i have looked up to zach de la roca my entire life he is one of the most amazing most searing lyricists i have ever heard or read or listened to kind of like a mortal technique these are my guys these these guys that that can paint you a picture with words are the kind of guys that i look up to and i love these lyrics by Zach De La Roca. Here we go. Let's read through this. He starts off the song saying, "Feel the funk blast," <laughs> and you know, I you know you could call it Rage Against the Machine punk rock or funk rock, if you will. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I digress. Here we go. Zach De La Roca, and I quote: "I be walking God like a dog." My narrative, fearless. My word war returns to burn. Like Baldwin home from Paris. Like steel from a furnace. I was born landless. This is the native son. Born of Zapata's guns. Stroll through the shanties and the city's remains. Same bodies buried hungry, but with different last names. These vultures rob everything, leave nothing but chains. Pick a point on the globe. Yes, the picture's the same. There's a bank, there's a church, a myth, and a hearse, a mall, and a loan, a child dead at birth. There's a widow pig parrot. A rebel to tame. 
a white hooded judge, a syringe, and a vein. And the riot be the rhyme of the unheard. Then he goes, you know, what you say, what you say, what you say, what? I'm calm like a bomb. Ignite, ignite, ignite. You guys have heard the song at the end of Matrix 1. The first Matrix movie. When Neo says, I'm going to tell him. I'm going to facilitate the function of the one. I'm going to let them all know about your plan. This ain't subliminal. Feel the critical mass approach horizon. The pulse of the condemned sound off America's demise. The anti-myth rhythm rock shocker. Yes, I spit fire. Hope lies <laughs> in the smoldering rubble of empires. Yes, back through the shanties and the city's remains, the bodies, I'm sorry, the same bodies buried hungry but with different last names. These vultures rob everyone, leave nothing but chains. Pick a point here at home and the picture's the same. There's a field full of slaves, some corn and some debt. There's a ditch full of bodies and the check for the rent. There's a tap the phone, the silence of stone, that numb black screen that be feeling like home. And the riot be the rhyme of the unheard. There's a mass without roofs. There's a prison to fill. There's a country's soul that reads post no bills. There's a strike and a line of cops outside of the mill. There's a right to obey and there's a right to kill. There's a mass without roofs. There's a prison to fill. There's a country soul that reads post no bills. There's a strike and a line of cops outside of the mill. There's the right to obey and there's the right to kill. People, this has been episode 52 of the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. I am Andrew for America. Please send me an email. Tell me what you think of the show. Let me know if I'm getting anything wrong. Andrew for America 1984 at gmail.com. Send a request to be invited into the private Facebook group where I try to be funny quite poorly. I try to be funny. I don't know if I'm funny. Maybe I'm occasionally funny. It's called Andrew for America Comedy and Commentary. Look it up on Facebook. Join the group. Let's chat. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. I hope you guys are enjoying the show. Uh, be looking at the website, politicsandpunkrockpodcast.com. Soon I'm going to have some merch up there, some t-shirts, some stickers. Who knows, maybe some lighters, some mugs, etc. We'll see. I love you guys.
Thanks for being here. Thanks a lot. Good night. We'll see you next time.